Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. You are back in the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren, the guy at the controls, and uh, we've we've got a real crowded room, but everybody is socially distanced and wearing a mask, (laughs) especially especially Eric, the doctor, Eric. Um, How are you doing, Eric? Yeah, so what's, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Oh, I'm excited. I'm particularly excited today because you graced me with allowing a dear friend of mine, and as the guest, also a terrific filmmaker. So this is a special edition of House of Mystery. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know yeah. you knew Oliver Stone. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, there's so much confusion. Yeah. Don't get me started on Oliver Stone. I'll, yeah, I can talk I for like four hours without oh. stopping. Uh, I, I know his son, you know, Sean. Oh, do you, how do you friends. know Sean? Oh, he's, he's sort of into from. conspiracy stuff, isn't he? Yeah, he's a nutball. Oh, okay. I know <laughs> he know. was... Um, what did he do? He converted to Muslim at one point, or well, now he he's, really, into, uh, he's into the earth. He's been going out, and he's he goes out with a pair of underwear and, and a sweater, and he goes sits <laughs> in the in the field for like about two months at a time. Well, I mean, he's Oliver Stone's son. I mean, that's that's how he was reared. Yeah, but you know, yeah. I I like him. We we get along great, and we are. I have his number. I should give it out and have people call him. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but the thing is, he's he just goes he goes off on these tangents. He gets really into these. Um, things just like his dad you know and, oh yeah 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 and he's know, like yeah. lit yeah he seems cool i mean i know he's also tried to get different things going like movies and being an actor and he's like his career has never really gotten momentum he's and yeah. he's sort of in his dad's shadow yeah he's it's got to be hard but yeah yeah that's a tough one yeah and 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 sitting we got a new uh co-host that's been sitting in lately his name is david north martino or we're going to call him Whiskey Man. <laughs> whiskey Man. <laughs> He's a whiskey aficionado, you know. Yes. 
<laughs> of course. I mean, well, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a point. We need yeah. to. I don't think now is really the time for inside jokes where it makes uh, absolutely no sense. Yeah. yeah. No, he really what, is. What do you know about whiskey, David? Uh, uh, well, I, uh, I drank a lot of it. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Oh. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I drink scotch. I drink uh, Canadian whiskey, uh, bourbon, rye. Oh, nice. Uh, so it was the Canadian whiskey <laughs> that sold out. Yeah, that was what made. Yeah, yeah it wasn't. It wasn't yeah. his writing. God. Yeah, yeah. no. No, usually. <laughs> oh, you like Canadian whiskey? Yeah. yeah. No, no, he's a good writer. I, he's a good writer. Oh, well, thank. You. Oh, sure. I have no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, so we've got um, a guest you picked today, and uh, it sounds fascinating. I uh, the the I was checking out her work and uh, some of the websites, and and I know um, the web series Dyke Central is kind of. The, the most popular item, but it looks like there's a lot of work behind her. So, um, yeah. Well, uh, you know, so thank you for joining us. We've got uh, Florencia Manaville. Thank you for being here. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I, I'm glad you didn't leave. <laughs> <laughs> was, it was only a few minutes, too. I was laughing quietly. Uh, Eric brings up Oliver Stone pretty much every single conversation he can. So I thought it was a hilarious. The, the biggest fan. Oh, you see, and I can't stand him. Um, oh, yeah. Are you talking about the guy or the work or both? Both. Oh, I mean, man. I don't know him that well. I've met him, but I don't yeah. know him that well. Oh, he and seems I'm, like sort of, oh, I've got to be careful with the amount of people listening, but he, he seems like he, he can be a difficult character. No, and it's not even that. It's just I, I really don't like a lot of his filmmaking because we see this is what we'll talk at Florenza. You can jump in on this. Uh, what do you think of someone like, Oliver Stone, and I don't mean personally, and I don't mean politically, or any that sort of stuff. But when you look at his filmmaking itself, and as you, as a filmmaker, is he someone that you respect, or it's not the right word, but is he someone that you look for uh, for any sort of an influence on on how you film? Wow. Okay, I think you're really putting my friendship with Eric on the line. Asking yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Question. No, no, no. no. Uh, I I'm mean... holding back a, a gushing dam right now. <laughs> my wife hates Oliver Stone, so just yeah. <laughs> he's very he, he's difficult to love. Go ahead. Uh, I I am not gonna touch that because I really the the Oliver Stone expert in the in the virtual room is Eric. Um, <laughs> but I do think that I have a very different style and um, <clears throat> aesthetic uh, pace that I'm drawn to. Uh, and this is something that Eric and I talk about often. Um, I am more of the sort of uh, Ang Lee, Wong Kar Wai um, <clears throat> pace. Um, I I I really am drawn to. Uh, I, mean, I just watched Nomadland um, a couple nights ago. I'm really drawn to um, films that allow you to sit with the sort of the texture and and more uh, like uh, gray areas and like nuances of. Um, humanity you know and and not necessarily the the like super high highs and low lows but more of the just all of the you know the the gamut of 
of color and and by i mean when what i mean by sit with i mean like um a slow also like a slower pace where you're just really allowed to take in um take in the images take in the like really feel what's happening and not necessarily be in in a very intense roller coaster kind of thing which i think is uh more of the oliver stone uh and mm -hmm. eric preferred type of of thing well yeah, yeah I, I, that's one aspect of it like when you look at the action and the roller coaster isn't that that's just one aspect but i mean as the filmmaker itself the problem i have with something like watching oliver stone if, if it okay so take away the story let's say we're not going to talk about whether he's got a good story or not or he's telling the truth because he tries to do a lot like jfk and all that stuff but um the actual filmmaking itself for me oliver stone seems really boring there's 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 no um he doesn't involve the set he doesn't involve enough of the surrounding world it doesn't it doesn't hold me if if the story isn't working i i can fall asleep it sounds like you're saying he doesn't let it breathe. Is that what you're saying? Like it's too frantic. Like he's shooting eyeballs and pairs of glasses. And like yeah, there, there's yeah. there's not a lot of like 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 just like Ferencia said. There's not a lot of texture or color. I understand that being mm, in the music. I don't get it. Like like I said, take away if you're not following the direct story. So let's say that you know he's telling a story, and you look at the filmmaking itself. If you look at the pictures, if you took the volume down and looked at the picture, I I, I don't I don't get a whole lot of um, access. Yeah, I don't I don't find yeah. it. It's, I don't know. If, do you do you understand what I mean, Florencia? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Uh, I, I well, let's not pick like on all of them. Yeah, I know. We <laughs> really, really went there. Um, I I think the word access actually, Eric, is a good one for me at least. I think that it is not. Um, I think his work is not an easy emotional access for me. Um, I think that's true. I think it's a bit of an acquired taste. <clears throat> um, I wanted to say about Florencia when, uh, so we met each other at Emerson College in the late '90s. We went to. Uh, I was studying writing literature and publishing, uh, publishing, and she was a film student. And something about the visual aspect of her movies I wanted to talk about today is, uh, it's interesting when you think about quote unquote visual filmmakers. You usually think about how they set the frame, and how they move the camera. Um, and, and Florencia with film grammar speaks in that way as well. You know, there's careful composition and movement and blocking and so forth. But what I always found uh, fascinating about her movies is what's in the frame, whether it's um, the look of a face or the um, shape of a body or, um, like she said, the texture or the color is very, very intentional, um, which I love. So it's visual in the sense that the subject uh, populates the visual mindset, which does bring to mind people like Ang Lee. So is that, is that accurate, Florencia, the way I just described your aesthetic to an extent that it's uh, mindful in terms of what you're putting in front of people? Yeah, I think so. Um, <clears throat> absolutely. I mean, I think that um, I'm just an emotionally driven person. And, and so I think like the face is definitely a priority for me. Um, and all of the elements that are really focused on evoking emotion over style or, you know, whatever else. Um, 
And you're also, something that also struck me in film school is uh, something that happened, Al, when, we, when I went to film school. I was a huge film geek growing up, as many film students are. And I'm into Scorsese and Oliver Stone. Not so much at that point. That actually got acquired a little bit later in my life. But uh, um, Tarantino, and, you know, uh, Tarantino's a strange case because his movies are personal, but he's a huge pop culture geek, so that's what he's expressing. But I was really interested in personal filmmakers. I mean, that's why I wanted to go. I studied writing, but I was always making films, and I'm very much a filmmaker. And I went to film school, and I was kind of disappointed by, um, and not to be too snobby, but some of the other film students' like favorite movies, like I, I expected, like not like it was going to be real rarefied if we talk about the classics, but when people told me like Terminator 2 was their favorite movie of all time, I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's an amazing action movie. But uh, I was really surprised. I was like, wow, this is the generation of film students. And uh, what struck me about Florencia's work, and it was really... I can't even emphasize how unique it was among the pool of students. And then later, as we all moved into doing it in a more professional or just adult capacity, um, just how personal it is. And that's why I've always liked it and liked reading her scripts before she's in production and um, seeing the work. And I really was excited to talk about the fluency and the personal dimension of your movies and what you have to say about you know, what types of people and what type of world you're generally going into. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you, by the way. That's really sweet. Um, <laughs> um, oh, for heaven's sake. No, yeah, of course. No. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, it is interesting. I remember being in college, and I, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, everybody kind of makes films for different reasons. Uh, and for me, it is absolutely just a form of self-expression and, and processing uh, my life and my experiences, um, whereas, and, and, and I'm also interested in watching personal films. I think I, I like films that really mean something personally. So Terminator 2, definitely not, uh, in that realm. Um, yeah. What's yeah. I'm sorry. Would you define your films? I don't. I don't mean to label or pigeonhole too aggressively, but are, are, is it fair to say that your your films and your TV show is, is queer cinema? Is that a uh, applicable label? Oh yeah, yeah, that's an applicable label. Absolutely. Because yeah. one of the most striking images from Dyke Central, and I, it's been a, a couple years since I watched it, but um, there is, I, I believe, a trans individual. Um, who is female appearing but has a beard. And that exemplifies what I was trying to describe about your visual sensibility because it's unforgettable. I mean, it's iconic and it's the sort of image like most pop media that's feeding your eyeball is not going to feed you. And I felt, you know, it's just one of many examples in your series um, and across your features and, and shorts and so forth that's bold. So I wanted you to talk about um, representation and uh, capturing your own, your, uh, your uh, own community uh, through this, these mediums. Yeah. Um, actually, she is just a woman, like a cis woman who okay. has a beard. Who has um, a beard. Okay. Yeah. And um, it's interesting. I, I mean, yeah. In in response to the to the question at large, I I mean, I am just very bored by uh, Hollywood cookie cutter aesthetic in general, uh, let alone that politically and personally, the whole like skinny, white, uh, airbrushed model looking representation of women 
is something that I want to like very intentionally um, counteract and, and battle with, mm-hmm. with what I put on the screen because it's extremely toxic and dangerous that, you know, women and girls don't have uh, a range of people to, to look at on the screen who they might see themselves reflected in and they might, you know, see as, you know, beautiful and heroes or flawed, but whatever. Um, so so th- that is a, an element that I come with from my childhood and uh, not, not seeing anybody with my like body type because uh, I'm not a skinny person um, reflected on the screen and, and just knowing, you know, just how pervasively problematic that is. Um, so, so that's one element. And then um, broadening that onto, um, you know, I, mean, the, I, I always give this example, but it's, it's very true, you know, in the queer community, we in the not not male gay but in the you know assigned female at birth uh side of the spectrum uh we only had the l word and the l word at the time right back when i started creating deck central the l word is very skinny white mm, yeah, uh, yeah. covered in makeup very femme you know um and that uh, i didn't i my pers- my queer community in the Bay Area, it was absolutely not seeing itself reflected in that one only show that was like the only thing available. Um, so I really felt just I like I wanted to to represent. And also it's such a beautiful community. I mean, and there is such diversity exactly like this, you know, like woman doesn't look like one thing or if even femme woman doesn't look like one thing this character mm-hmm. that you're talking about was a femme woman who happened to have a beard not na- a beard naturally um and uh i think i think actually a lot of women have beards but they but you know it's completely unacceptable in society especially in straight society to to have a beard if you're a feminine woman um so you know that they have to get rid of it. So um, this person who in her life had it and performed it, and it's of course acceptable in the queer community or more acceptable in the queer community. So she's able to have that, that freedom to express uh, or just to naturally be how she was born, you know? Um, that's I'm sorry, I, mi- I, missed the, I missed the step. I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you say the beard was natural or what? It was natural. She grew it. Yeah. Right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Lot, okay, yeah. It's sort of like an over, overlooked possibility for women. Exactly. And, and actually, and that's the, the thing. I mean, I, we, we don't even know that actually a lot of women grow, can grow like goatees or, or whatnot. And because they absolutely remove it, because otherwise, you know, they'll be, they'll be mocked and um, yeah. just not fully accepted in society. But in queer community, there is just more latitude for people to express themselves, their gender, their identity, um, as they naturally naturally are. So that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about the queer community, at least where I live, you know, in the Bay Area. Because um, I think in L.A. it is much more because of its proximity to Hollywood. Actually, I mean, I've, after after all this, like, I did go to L.A. and being in the 
in the LGBTQ community there, I'm like, oh, actually, these people do kind of look like the L word people. You know, it's not that <laughs> yeah. the L word doesn't represent. You know, it is still Hollywood, uh, and that's why I, I, Dyke Central is set in the Bay Area and. And Oakland is such a part of the show because yeah. uh, it's a very special thing that we have here that um, that isn't that that level of like freedom to tr- and and acceptance to truly like let people be quote unquote weird, which is you know yeah <laughs> what yeah. is weird, but. Um, but that's not just a female, like a, a woman lesbian part. Um, because look at Queer as Folk and, and some of the others. Everybody on there was pretty and skinny and mm-hmm. had perfect hair and teeth and everything, right? Like there was, they, they do that to us too. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's a, a lot of what San Francisco Bay Area is on the forefront of is breaking that mold, like even... Um, you know, for obviously, uh, I, I know less about the, the gay male side of it, but you know, the same with like bears and, um, just embracing different body types and celebrating different body types and, uh, expressions of, of, of gender all across the spectrum. I think that in the Bay area, it's something that is at the, at the forefront and, and, I've seen that even in, you know, the, I'm basically, I have a, uh, a proximity to the queer film festivals. My work has screened at many queer film festivals in, you know, in the country and, and outside of it. And um, the queer film festivals of each place really kind of represent or, or reflect uh, just this, this different, this difference in, in the places and the, the Bay area, uh, one frame line, which is the longest running one, uh, really has work that like maybe wouldn't be shown in Outfest in LA or, or in other places because the Bay area is sort of at the forefront of breaking those barriers of like, um, of what is acceptable and what, how far we can expand in our expression. It seems like, uh, from what I pick up online, like on Amazon, where Dyke Central is still streaming on Prime, right? It's still there. I know it's platformed mm-hmm. elsewhere, too. Yeah. Um, it seems like uh, Oakland is grateful. Like, it, it, you really caught the um, the intonation and, and temperature and texture, as you said, of the area, because it seems like people, there's a very common reaction across, whether it's Amazon reviews or social media posts or whatnot about Dyke Central. It's like, Oh, she got it. It's here. Like, it's here. We're finally, there's finally a mirror being held up to us. Is that, is that something you've seen in the reaction? Uh, Yeah, people have been really, um, really effusive in, in their response, which has been, was really nice. I will say it does feel to me now a little dated. Uh, we shot okay. the pilot like 10 years ago. So there are things that are a big part of the Bay Area that are not in the show, like the the, the housing crisis. You know, now mm, I think there's yeah. parts when I watch that pilot and then they're like, oh yeah, there's a room for $500. <laughs> and we're all like, wow, that is really not the case. Cause now it's finding housing is very difficult. You know, there, there's a whole element that I actually did want to, get into if I ever did a season two and never got to, 
Um, so in a way, it did capture a moment in time as well. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, um, with the Hollywood thing, and I know you, you tie this back to your more formative years in terms of body type and what you want to represent. Did you ever have any interest or working in or succeeding in Hollywood? Or was that always something that was, that you had more of an antipathy toward? Antipathy. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. So, so you never, it was never like you had stars in your eyes, like you were dazzled, like, oh, I'm going to make it, I'm going to be famous. That was never the motive. It was always just the, the cinema and using that medium to express yourself. Yeah, and I think also, in, you know, we're talking about favorite movies when we were in college and those in those formative years. Like, I think my favorite movies just were not Hollywood movies to begin mm -hmm. with. Um, and also... I do remember, like, in college being in very, you know, very toxic masculine, like, bro-y sets and yeah. having an understanding that, oh, that's what, you know, the quote-unquote industry is, is just having to tolerate uh, that. And I just don't have that tolerance or patience for, you know. Yeah, that, and I would say that's still the norm. I mean, that's kind of like mm -hmm. when you talk about, like, set dogs or, or set kids, like, there's people that live on sets. It's predominantly male, I would say, still. I mean, mm -hmm. isn't, that, isn't that sort of the thing? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, that's one element. And then the other aspect is I just have zero interest in ever living in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, God bless you. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, I was, I was uh, waiting to get out for a long time while I was there. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, and, and... We're on Los Angeles radio, just so you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, it's a, I mean, yeah. when you're talking about the best city in the world... Yeah. But it, but no, it, go ahead, go ahead. The third aspect of it is that I also remember there was a point I was watching, you know, watching movies and being like, wow, a lot of these movies are filmmakers talking about filmmaking, and it's like, and even when I went to L.A. and would visit some of my friends who work in the industry... All they talk about is filmmaking and they talk to filmmakers. And I was, I just had this clear sense that I don't, I, I want to be in the world and make movies about the, the world, like mm -hmm. real life. And then, you know what I mean? And not just like be navel gazing as, as a filmmaker without any like connection to what like real world is. Yeah, I think uh, the peak of that syndrome for me was Entourage. Like, it's mm -hmm. so, like, L.A. up its own ass. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, and uh, the thing about L.A. is I had, you know, I was there for 14 years out, and I had highs and lows. It was a huge adventure. I was in the business. But the thing I noticed when I left and came up to the Bay Area was I had felt so much pressure the whole time I was there. Like, you're, I felt a sense of pressure to be relevant, to be succeeding, to have a scripting option, to be, you know, hired on commission to write something. And it's just that sort of atmosphere, because it's such an industry town, like Florencia is saying, like, it's just, it infuses and saturates everything. And I, like, find it, when I'm making films up here, I actually find it easier to think, because I'm not, mm -hmm. like, it's not cross-indexed with what any other group of people is up to. And, and um, Another thing I got to say is on my first, and this was a, a, a pivotal moment in terms of me and Florencia becoming closer, whether she knows it or not, is on my first feature, my crew was entirely women. And that wasn't by design. It was sort of by happenstance. It's like, ooh, this person's available, that person's available. And before I knew it, the crew was like 85% women. And I, I realized how uh, relaxed and non-charged and uh, grounded it felt, stable, or at least, at least for me. And that was a big thing. And I thought of Florencia instantly. I was like, aha, I'm starting to understand. Uh, not to not to drag men and not to make some broad-based broad statement, but uh, 
there is something to be said for sort of shuffling the deck and changing the atmosphere of how a movie is actually made because there's there seems to be in so many cases like one set standardized approach. Yeah. I would yeah. say that's probably a big uphill battle for you then. Um, not only being a woman filmmaker, but filming something that uh, is accepted in, in, in the major media sort of. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So to speak. Yeah, um, I would say that's not really a primary concern for me um i have this sense of just kind of like doing in a way i guess i operate a little bit more as a artist between you know quote unquote than as a you know filmmaker um in the sense of i'm just doing the things that are interesting to me you know, that, that I am really juiced about and wanting to explore because I, I think there's this kind of filmmaker track where you can, you can get into the mindset of like, what am I supposed to be doing? What is uh, wanted of me? And, and actually that changes so quickly. Um, And, and it can be very confusing. I remember when I first started doing like central, it was, there was, there were a lot of like, you should do this. You should do that. You should do that. And, uh, first off, like nobody really knows what you should do because, um, the, the filmmaking landscape, especially, I mean, with, with the advent of digital filmmaking and streaming, uh, and you know, the, the digital way of like watching films, consuming content, whatnot. Um, things are just constantly changing. So there's actually no, nobody actually knows how things should be done. So there's that. Um, and 
I think there there are there there it's very noisy out there in terms of like messages for filmmakers or filmmakers who want to grow or yeah make it into the mainstream or this and that you should do this you should do that you should do that um for me obviously I'm not somebody who like uh has a comfortable relationship with authority <laughs> and like <laughs> uh you know oh somebody tells me I should do this let me do this uh that's not really how I operate I'm very much like you know singing to my own tune or whatever the phrase is um but but also I think that um yeah I I think it makes sense for me internally psychologically emotionally creatively to just to just work on the things that I want to make and then oh if at some point something sort of fits into what some distributor or some higher power in the film world is looking for then great I can um I can make whatever I'm working on you know serve that but uh but not to just to to take that as the starting point you know um oh what is wanted from me let me let me do that I just don't really I just I just don't really create that way and I get going back to um to for me this being really first and foremost of a a form of self-expression like just the language that my you know muse speaks in um or whatnot that said, you know, I am currently really excited about developing a project that definitely needs uh, structural support, you know, from from the film higher powers, whatever those might be. So it is an interesting process to do the thing that I innately want to do and then, okay, have to create the materials that are needed to bridge the communication between where I am and where that world is, if that makes any sense. Part of the subtext of everything you just said uh, is that you've never, in addition to not being driven toward the Hollywood dream, you're not motivated by money. Like this is not, you're not uh, and that makes you unique among, I think all the filmmakers I know. Um, you're not, I'm, get, I'm hearing, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're not, it's not like, okay, eventually I can make a living. That's the hope I'm pinning my life to uh, from doing this. It's completely more, like you said, on the art side of things. Right. I feel like we're about to have the, the Francis Ford Coppola conversation, Eric. <laughs> oh, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By, by all means. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Agreed. And, and connected to everything else we talked about, part of me being like, hey, I want to live in the real world is was yeah i want to make a living I, and and i don't want to have to be in toxic environments uh unless i don't want to be on set unless it's my own movies or or yeah. isolated movies that i choose um because i want to support this film being made as opposed to like just w having to work on set and put up with it so because of that i have i make my money you know in a different way I'm a translator and interpreter. Um, so, uh, and I'm also a parent, you know, and I wouldn't really be able to parent the way that I, that I want to parent if I were 
making films for a living. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I am not money motivated, motivated. That's correct. And therefore I do get to do whatever I want with my, with yeah. my filmmaking. Um, and, the, but I, I feel like we should share with the others, Eric, the Francis Ford Coppola thing, which is, yeah, yeah. uh, there was this article and now I don't think it, I don't know if I remember who sent it to whom, whether it was me to Eric or Eric to me. Yeah. But, I think it originated with you. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Because this is a topic that, that comes up a lot. Right. And, and there was this, like, I think Eric, you, I think you were living in LA at the time and it, it is mm -hmm. this pressure. We're feeling like this this con this concept of like if you are not making money off of your creative uh work uh you're not successful or that uh like, you're wor worthless like yeah you're in the right. gutter yeah right and i obviously never really had that perspective and and as i also just yeah i i know a lot of people like for example i remember hal hartley who's a filmmaker who i totally admire and think that he's amazing and i remember that he was a teaching at Harvard, um, teaching film at Harvard. Uh, and I was like, look, if Hal Hartley has to like be a teacher, you know, right, I mean, to yeah. pay his bills. But, but then we, does, I guess I must have come across this article about from Francis Ford Coppola that was about how he had uh, the vineyards uh, in order to support like his filmmaking. And then it was like, okay, if Francis yeah, Ford Coppola, it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and he, he's been at the tippity-top of the industry. He's won five Oscars. He's had box office smashes, like The Godfather, Apocalypse exactly. Now. He's, like, been in a spot to know and be demythologized and demystified from all the hype. And he's mm -hmm. now at a point now where he just, he has his vineyard, and he makes, I, I think Coppola Winery makes, like, a couple hundred million a year. And he, every so often, will take off a chunk, something he can afford to lose, like, two million or ten million or whatever it is for him. And he'll just make a film. And he, I think his last one twixt with... Uh, Val Kilmer was, like, scarcely even distributed. It was, like, something he just wanted to, like, have on a shelf somewhere. Like, he's totally over it. And that was very health healthy for me because uh, playing the game with distributors, I mean, in a lot of cases, it's, like, criminal behavior. They rip you off. They sell your movie to international territories. You never see a dime. And it's just such an uphill thing, the making a living piece of it. But I still have the passion for cinema itself and to do it. So it is a help to look at somebody like Coppola and Mike Shyamalan, too, uh, his last three movies he paid for by himself, just from, like, real estate money. <laughs> and he got uh, mainstream distribution for Universal, but it's him. It's just like, all right, I'm going to make it just the way I want it. My own mm -hmm. screenplay, my own vision. Because he had failed with After Earth. It was, like, $120 million, and it's just like he lost tens of millions of dollars. And I can't imagine what that experience is like. But at a certain point, um, that purity is appealing. That's what I've always admired so much about how you've approached it from the beginning. You were so ahead of that curve in terms of uh, – just a, a real a real simple relationship to it in the sense of, wait, hold on. These are the things I want to say. This is going to uh, light, light my grid and make me passionate, and this is just the way it has to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. The, of course, the, the very tricky thing about filmmaking is that you do need money to make it. It's not you that I'm going to make this painting and, yeah. you know, I just need some paint. You know, you, you need the labor of several people, um, and equipment and whatnot so so that's the tricky part is that is that you still need resources and how to get those well you know it's the forever it's the forever filmmaker struggle yeah, yeah it's a hustle yeah you're always pulling from all directions i know like for a lot of your projects you've crowdfunded right uh actually oh. only one of them oh um, only one okay i lost track only okay. the last one no yeah okay um, 
no, okay, that that maybe not. No, that's not true. I did. We did crowdfund a little bit for Dyke Central. It just wasn't okay. particularly successful. I mean, I despise that process. I mean, now yeah, it's, it's so a tough. That's a tough thing to do. I mean, ugh, especially you know, ten years ago, I was definitely just really resistant, and people were like, "You have to do it." Uh, and I, I did, we did need to get funds from somewhere, but it wasn't particularly successful or like we got maybe just mm. like a couple thousand dollars here and there. The last oh, movie that I made was like, okay, I'm going to take this crowdfunding thing as a very serious thing. That's like my job for a month. And, um, it was still very unpleasant, you know, but, um, yeah, I think that one was more like. 15,000 or something like oh, that. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, did, did that campaign get to the end? Did you get the, 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 the amount you wanted? Yeah. I didn't get the full amount, but I think it, once you cross the 80% line, you got the funds, and we basically did that. And, okay. uh, yeah, that was for the short solstice that I made. That's a, like, longer short end. Oh, which was beautiful, yeah. Yeah, and you, um, so for the, the one you're working on now, I'm not sure how much or, or if you want to get into it, but you said it's more, it would require more establishment support. So in other words, it would probably be like in the millions of dollars to produce it. Uh, well, it's a series. Um, yeah. I, so I, I feel like, I think it's also just the vision I have for it. I want people to see it, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I think that it needs to yeah it needs to have full funding i don't know if millions i mean for me i because i'm a scrappy indie filmmaker i'm like oof even just with you know two hundred thousand dollars i mean yeah, yeah. absolutely make it uh great but you know the then there's the whole thing of uh, having uh, people true. with um you know with with a bigger name or, or just that's it's a whole different world than what I operate in, but I do think that I have to dip my toes uh, in that for this particular pro project because um, it's just, I think it's important, you know, it's important to me and I want people to see it. Got it. Okay. I mean, Al, it was interesting because you and I were talking about film financing in the past couple of weeks and you were just like flat out. You're like, you get nothing out of it. Nothing comes back. It's like, uh, well, it's, it's funny because as, as recently as like 12 years ago, there was still enough mystique where, like, a lay investor would think, like, ooh, I'll invest in a movie, it's sexy. But I think the word, because of the Internet, the word is so out that it's so hard to get it back out. And you, you put money into something, right? Yeah, I've got the uh, Gacy film from John Borowski yeah, right. coming out. I'm the exact producer. But, you know, oh, that's the, awesome. the, the, the thing is, um, I know I'll never make it back. Um, that's why I said, you know, I only do so much per year because I look at my mm. income, and then I put out, but I, it's sort of I kind of I'm kind of doing both for myself in the sense that I write some really um, commercial books, uh, all the short read series and in, in crime and murders, and they sell like crazy, and they sell every single day, and they bring me income. And then I write serious things that I really put myself into, that mean something to me, which don't pay me that well you know, mm. off and on. And and the thing is, when I see someone like John, John Borowski's made some great web shows and series and and some films, and so I thought this new one that he was doing, it's been a couple of years now he's been working on it, and I thought this is a great piece of work, so I'll put money into it because 
I believe in what he's doing and the product at the end, and that's all that matters. So it's kind of one of those, I, I put it in two groups, and either it's I'm into it and it's about it's a good project that I believe in, or it's it's um, money. <laughs> right, right, and that's a very healthy sort of pure way to look at it. Well, what's good about um, what Florencia was describing with her series is if the money comes from a more establishment source now, it would be a streamer like Netflix or Hulu or Amazon. And what's good about the way they're monetized is each individual piece of work doesn't have any pressure on it to profit. It's all about the uh, subscriber mm -hmm. base. So mm -hmm. that, that has made it brought like a sort of quasi-socialism to filmmaking because it's like if you make The Irishman for $200 million, you don't have to account for it later. It doesn't have to come back to you. It just has to be, you know, to help, you know, all ships rise with that tide on that platform and help Netflix keep it shine, and that's it. And for Amazon, it's like they want to keep people on that website to shop, and that's it. Like, they, you know, so if you, if you have people looking at the Amazon logo over and over and watching shows, it serves them in umpteenth other ways across all the products they sell. So it's sort of an elevated um, – the reason I, I pointed out that you had that mindset, Al, in terms of, like, it being more for the product – or with Florencia not being money motivated, I think it's, I hope, I might be naive, but I think it could kind of be trending in that direction because I know filmmakers historically have despised the box office, especially as, as it's become like the Monday morning news. It's like, all right, what happened at the box office? Of course not now because of COVID, but um, so well, it's good. I think it's just healthy. But there has to be a point when you, when, you, when you take on a project, you have to kind of know uh, if it's in your heart and you're into it and this is a good project. Uh, yeah. Then it's not about the money. The money's not. It's about getting the money to do it. Like it, it becomes secondary. Right. But when you're when you're but you've got to make money too. If you have a talent to be able to like, like to make movies, um, then then it's okay to make commercial movies. It's okay to make just like I do commercial books. It doesn't make my good work bad. And I know a lot of people think, oh, you're sellout, and they'll just write you off because of it but i i don't believe in that because we've got to live too right yeah i think and it's interesting because to my mind the whole concept of a sellout like which is a punk term like coming up in the 80s and 90s it's like oh you're sellout you're selling out to the man or whatever it's yeah. like every the economy has changed so drastically it's so splintered like half the people i know have like seven different jobs like you've gotta <laughs> like you have to like anybody who thinks like you don't have to work that sort of hustle to survive is like not paying attention so like of course you know like like i'm i'm over here doing journalism fiction filmmaking i mean it's, it's always been diversified yeah right exactly i mean i think it's like whether you are doing that money making hustle in the same realm as your creative work or outside of it you have to do it somewhere yeah i mean i could yeah. choose to work a job i could work at the drive-thru and make money uh, you know, I can yeah. work at a department store, and it's about money. Uh, but if I'm able to write for a project for a publisher that's going to pay me, I'd rather do that than work at right. McDonald's. You know? I'd oh, absolutely. And, you know, also, you know, there's so many logistical things, like you're at home, you're on a flexible schedule, you're using your God-given talent, all those things. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, and I'm, I'm from the 80s sellout era too right uh, <laughs> uh, but you know hey it's all good uh, but I was going to ask um, so Florencia if, if, when you do a, when you do one of your projects a film mm -hmm. or a series and stuff like that um, w w what is the take home like what is it that you want people to 
to take away from your project. Like, for instance, let's take Dyke Central because it's something we all Mm -hmm. know. So at the end of Dyke Central, besides the the top story, you know, the main theme and all Mm -hmm. that stuff, what do you want me to to feel or take away from? Oh, I don't think I have a fixed, uh, a singular thing. I think it different people will take different things from it depending on who they are, especially something like Dyke Central, um, because it's, it's, you know, there's so many things going on that my mom, <laughs> who knows nothing <laughs> about queer community, would take something very different than people who, like, write me. To this day, I get messages about people who have just watched like central and they're like oh my god i felt this way i felt so identified because they are very much relating to the characters um and i mean that's even unpredictable you know i i i don't think i can be thinking about that personally i although when you ask me the question i am thinking uh, there's a short that i might shoot next month that i'm very excited about um We'll see the COVID restrictions uh, allow or, um, but it, that one is kind of a conversation between two people of different generations who have, you know, Gen X and Gen, and the millennials, not the millennials, sorry, Gen Z, which is like my kid's age. Um, and hmm. I think with, the, with that one, I do maybe have something that I am getting that, you know, I, in between those two generations, I'm getting out of it. But at the same time, I don't think I could even predict what, like, people from Gen Z would get out of it by watching it or Gen X. Um, I think I think it's very much the kind of thing where, like, I have to just make it from a, from a place that is authentic to me. And then, you know, you free it into the world and then it lands wherever it lands for people. Yeah. And... <clears throat> Honestly, that's one of the things that I love about screening films in person, like having Q&As, because I've also had experiences where just people come up to me after and, and then they share what it where it landed for them. And I absolutely there's no way that I could have ever like controlled or predicted or planned uh, just what where what things touched people in particular. Um, and it's such a, that's the, the beauty of it is is the the unknowable mm-hmm. element there yeah are you when you get those emails and people say i felt seen i felt represented is that gratifying does that give you joy oh absolutely i mean yeah 100 percent. that those the amount of messages i've gotten about like central um like make it feel very worth it you know even those grueling to to make and everything but those are the reminders or even in moments where i'm like why am i even filmmaking what is what is the point you know those like those those dark nights of the soul there where you're (laughs) like what am i even doing and those messages are very validating in those moments it's like oh yeah it it matters you know you're not this is not me in a shoebox making something for myself in a very self-gratifying way uh this is Uh, how it works Mm -hmm. Uh, while we have you here because i know we're running out of time i wanted to ask you because we've discussed this before and i thought this was a pretty punk move on your part the word dyke um wasn't Uh that sort of an impolitic choice at the time you made it like wasn't that weren't you sort of like on the borderline where that was like seeping into a more appropriate lexicon or can you walk us through that yeah, it's interesting. 
the word Dyke being in Dyke Central is the reason why Dyke Central like couldn't be in more like mainstream. Yeah. Um, a lot of people were like, oh, we, we can't take that. We can't take this yeah. if you're attached to it. But here, I mean, and it goes back to the previous conversation about, you know, representation of life in the Bay Area. Here, the word dyke was reclaimed. Like, uh, Dyke March is an annual thing that happens. It's like the word dyke is very beautiful and embraced and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, and it's not like that in the rest of the world, but it was important to have that word because we are not, this is not Hollywood and this is, was not something that was made to like uh, be palatable to the mainstream. This was something that was made to be an authentic representation of like this community here and the, this community here uses that word. Like I did get to explore that in episode two um, where they, they just had that little conversation. I was like, we, they need to actually talk about the word because, um, because it, you know, just to clarify my position. So they do that in episode two, um, in a big way. And, uh, yeah, I felt like that was, um, did you ever get any like outright disapproval or like finger pointing or any, or finger wagging or anything like that outside of certain, um, entities or venues not wanting to carry it? Um, some of the comments, if you look, if you go to YouTube, there's the first and second episodes are on YouTube and they, okay. they have long comments. I think, I don't really, I'm not a YouTube comment reader, but <laughs> cast members are and they'll like share stuff with me and sometimes I've gone in there and read them. Um, you definitely here and there people are like, I'm still not comfortable with this word, you know, yeah. it meant this, especially older people. They're like, yeah. this word was very like violently used against me. Um, mm. And that's fine. It doesn't, I don't need to take away from their experience, you know, that there's, yeah, that's a whole other conversation, yeah. but. Well, um, yeah, yeah, and there's, there's the, you know, people put too much power into the words. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think you just know where someone's coming from when they're saying something. So when they're saying it with hateful intent, it doesn't matter really what the word is. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it. But that's just what I've learned over 50-some years in, in my life. It seems like um, it's really about the intention of someone when they're talking to me um, that I take more than the, the those 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 stupid words they just you know they're they're not that important but but what am yeah, i agree you know yeah. well i, I want to ask though i want to ask though Florence, with your intention i'm just curious to like go into the deeper center because obviously your intention on that end of things with that title was sound and it was good and i mean it's, you're representing in a very positive way and that's without question but i'm wondering if you were also since you were cognizant of the fact that it was a bold choice if there was any side of you that felt like you were sort of standing up in that way, like with boldness, or was that not really a motivator? Uh, I would say yes. And in the same way of having like masculine of center people, uh, like women who are masculine um, as the protagonist, that was also kind of a thing, you know, that I did get pushback. They were like, Oh, people need to be, pretty first off to me the Mm. people in the show are very attractive so it's like Mm. okay i understand that from for that for a different view you uh yeah you have a different lens and yes it is very important for me to 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 keep this as i am doing it because there is a lack of of this you know 
Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well said. Well, um, we are running out of time here. We're getting on the edge. So, Florencia, let's give out your contact. So do you have a, a website or a place that you want people to go and find out about you and your work? Oh, yeah. Um, I My... Uh, my website is Mina Films, so it's M Y N A H Films plural dot com, and then Instagram Mina Films, same thing M Y N A H Films, and Facebook, same thing. Okay. Yeah, we will link that up with ours so people listening to the show can find you with one click and and uh, give you the feedback about Dyke. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here for it. Well, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.